When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to 20 Questions on Deadline. I'm Antonia Blythe, Senior Awards Editor. My guest this week is Rachel Bloom. She's starring in new Hulu show Reboot, which comes out on September 20th. Bloom plays Hannah, a young TV writer set on rebooting an outdated family sitcom that has very personal associations for her. She wants to bring back the original sitcom's cast too, which includes Keegan-Michael Key, Judy Greer, and Johnny Knoxville. Bloom shot to fame as the co-creator and star of the comedy series Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. She won an Emmy, a Golden Globe, and a Critics' Choice Award for her work on the show. She will next be performing her comedy special live in New York and LA starting in September. Rachel Bloom, welcome to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, I just saw you last weekend um, backstage at the Creative Arts Emmys taking photos of your husband because <laughs> he he was on the winner's podium for his work on Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which, of course, you were also a part of. So that was really sweet. Uh, you must have had a great night. I was just so proud of him. I mean, uh, you know, he co-wrote the screenplay for Chippendale Rescue Rangers it's been a process eight years in the making. Uh, he and his writing partner, Doug Mand, wrote that script, you know, truly eight years ago. And even as they were writing it, they're like, they're not going to make this. There's no way they're going to make this. And um, and Akiva came along and really was like, no, I want to make this and and rescued the script from just being a great unmade script as there are, you know, there are so many of those <laughs> laying around in Hollywood. And so just that moment they won was so cathartic and I was just so proud of him. I mean, nobody works harder than my husband. My husband and his writing partner, Doug, they're, they're just such hard workers. And I've been with my husband for 14 years. We've known each other for, almost oh God, 16 years, 17 <laughs> years. It's a long time. And he's just the nicest, hardest working person I know. So no one deserves it more. You yourself voiced the parts of a sheep, a flounder, and a flower girl, correct? I think there's like five other, I think I did like eight parts (laughs) in the movie. Uh, I was so thrilled to be a part of it any way I could. I mean, truly though, that was an hour of my time. So I'm happy to take the IMDb (laughs) credit, but uh, I was so thrilled to do anything with that movie just because that screenplay, when I first read it in 2016, I was like, this is one of the best screenplays I've ever read. Oh, um, you know, I do want to talk about your new show, Reboot, though, because how brilliantly funny is this script? 
tell me about your road to getting on board. Obviously, everyone knows your work from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, your live work. You've done a lot of different things. You've won a Golden Globe, a Critics' Choice Award, you, you know, Emmy nominated all over the place. Um, and I just was curious about the road to doing Reboot. And did you have this kind of sense of the brilliant disappointment that everyone feels for the overuse of rebooting these days. <laughs> yeah, I think that we're all I think that we're all feeling that. I mean, you know, the Animaniacs reboot had a great song about reboots in general, which I think really nailed it. Um I think this premise is brilliant. And so mm. I was so thrilled when I got the offer especially because this is a role uh with which I really identify and it's a role that I hadn't kind of seen before. And the cast is just so stellar, but it seems like one of those just no-brainer ideas of, oh, oh God, I'm, I'm glad they're getting to this before someone else does. Absolutely. Um, it's such a kind of fun pastiche on why we want to go back to old, comfortable stories. But I love the twist in Reboot that it's it's about so much more for your character because it has all these deep personal connotations. There's so much mileage there. Um, tell me about some moments that you were just sort of cracking up with the other cast members. Amazing fellow cast, obviously. Oh my um, God. They're, so they're tell all, me about them. They're all so great. Well, first of all, um, uh, Larry Pressman, who plays the show's director, he has literally been working in the business. I mean, he, he's been working in this business for so long that whenever I had a scene with him, especially it was the first table read scene in episode two, he would just crack us up with stories in between of, of, you know, he's been in the business. I think it's something like 50 years, 60 years. So that what? was, I mean, that was really, really amazing. I mean, just look, just look up Lawrence Pressman's credits. I'm like almost looking them up right now for you. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, um, yeah. I mean, he's he's an un he's an unbelievable he's an unbelievable person, and he, I mean, he was like, oh yeah, I knew Sandy Meisner and I knew Stella Adler. He's he's amazing. So that was really mm. really cool just to hear all his stories. Um, he should really have his own podcast. And then the writers' room scenes were so fun, and there was this one moment where um, Rose Abdu, who plays the character Selma. Uh, there's a, a, a line where Selma has to find a euphemism for vagina and, uh, and Rose, who's a, a brilliant improviser was like, can I just name a bunch of like vagina euphemisms in a row for a take? And so she just started naming vagina euphemisms. And one of them was panty hamster. And, oh and we had to stop filming. It was so good. <laughs> she was like panty hamster. And we all died. <sighs> Okay, can we have a pause while I try not to <coughs> choke on Panty Hamster is so I, good. Si <laughs> silently laughing. Oh my god. That is so good. Um I also I just have this really funny memory of you when you won your globe and we met at the um one of the parties. I I forget which I think it was the HBO party. Yeah, that was the big fancy one, I remember. Yeah. That everyone goes to and gets a picture. Yeah, and you were on the red carpet, and I I was congratulating you, and you just started showing me how to do bicep curls with the awards <laughs> because it was. It, I was like, "What are you? Where are you going to put it?" You were like, "Oh, I, you know, it's an exercise tool." 
anyway I have that video somewhere I should send it to you um <laughs> that sounds like me I think I remember that yeah um I just also wanted to touch on you know you have uh the school for good and evil coming up so I was curious about that experience that cost I mean Kerry Washington Kate Blanchett Michelle Yeoh Charlie Theron, I could go on. It's just unbelievable. Tell me about that. What can you say? Well, I got to go to Belfast for 10 days. I only shot two of those 10. Um, I think seven were quarantining. I'm trying to remember. It was like a over a year ago. And it was um it was it was just really cool. I didn't get to act with most of those people. Um, but it was really awesome. I mean, I I think it was my first, I want to say it was my first real gig back, uh, after, you know, pandemic having a baby. And so Mm. walking onto this set that has so much money. I mean, that's the other thing, you know, I came from, we had money on crazy ex-girlfriend, but we didn't have like school for good and evil money. So to step onto this gorgeous soundstage and, and see all of the sets that were up, it was, um, it was, it was so overwhelming. And I think that in general, I, for four years, I was in my own kind of house. I was on my own show. There was a, a comfort's the wrong word because it was a very hard uh, life doing that show. Not interpersonally, just I was working 16-hour days. But it's been really cool in the past year and a half. Working as just an actor, going onto different sets, being in someone else's vibe, being in someone else's world, and it feels... Uh, every, every job I've had since Crazy Ex-Girlfriend feels like a real, a real masterclass. Mm. Yeah, I was curious um, when I saw Reboot um, about that experience for you of, of you just being there as an actor and getting to really embrace that. Um, and, it, and it's kind of a different vibe from how you started out. So it just must be quite a curious experience to flip-flop between stuff that you create yourself and to work with other actors in this context. I love it all. I think, you know, I like to work and I come from the mentality still of like, go where the gig is, whatever Mm -hmm. they need you to do. Like, so I'm an actor for hire. I'm a lyricist for hire. Um, It's all fun in, in different ways. I will say being on a set where I didn't have to worry about editing or I didn't have to worry about anything. Mm -hmm. I could just trust everyone else and the scripts were really good and they're open to feedback and we improvised and we um they weren't dogmatic with the words so we could always change up the words but I just understood that character uh so well it it not felt like I'd written it because I 100% didn't but there's it's nice to take the to take the feeling of ownership you have over acting stuff you write and bring it to things you don't write um but process it <laughs> the same way internally. That's almost become my acting method in a weird way. Like, okay, does it feel like I'm coming up with these words at this moment? And I'd write a book, but it would be a very short book. Okay, so if you wrote an acting book, what would it be telling younger people starting out? I think the most important thing, and this is from both acting and being behind the casting table, is you're told a lot of rules when you're starting out. You, I don't know, you're told things like, don't wear stripes, don't wear black. This is how you slate. This is how you, you know. And there are some acting classes where they very much try to get you to say the lines 
in the way they want you to say them. But when you're behind the casting table, all of that stuff, even if you flub a line, it doesn't matter. It, it's really just, do I buy it? Do I buy that this person is saying these words in this moment as this character? It's, it's like, um, it's an overall cumulative thing. And I think people, people really, and I do this as an actor too, people really bust themselves up over the details. And I'm thinking about more of auditioning, which is a, a an unpleasant experience. Um, it, it's not, it, if you flub a word, if you, it's okay. So I, I think that that was kind of the most, that's kind of the most important thing I can impart that it's, um, it's a more holistic thing than all of these little teeny details. And I think that a lot of teachers scare you into like, okay, if you do this one thing wrong, you won't get hired. And no, it's, it's not that it's not as uh, catastrophic as that. And I think it's also important to know, uh, there are a lot of actors out there. And if you don't get a role, if you don't get parts, it's not necessarily a reprimand on your talent or how well you did on your audition. It, it just could be someone had the vibe of that character better. And I say mm -hmm. this as I'm, I'm putting myself on tape for things occasionally. I go on tape for something, I don't know, about once a month, once every two months. And I haven't booked from putting myself on tape. I've been booking from offers. So acting is, it's, it's hard. There's a lot of competition. There are a lot of talented people out there and in it, it's not a needle in the haystack per se with every character, but you really are looking for the right fit of when you're casting of who fits either fits what you were picturing the most, which no actor could ever predict or who brings something to the role that you suddenly love even more than what you wrote, but it's hard. It's hard. It's really hard. Um, so that's, I, 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 to any young actors, like I have a lot of friends who are extremely seasoned actors who are like, I'm booking nothing. I got nothing. I love that. I love the transparency because people don't like to talk about the reality of, uh, being a successful quote unquote successful actor. And you still have to deal with, um, rejection. Oh, I still do. put myself, yeah, yeah. I still put myself on tape. You very much feel, this also comes from, I've dipped, I've, I've been dipping my toe into kind of indie filmmaking producing and mm. every actor, when you're looking to put together an indie film, every actor has like a number by their name of their, I think it's like potential box office, their potential international box office. You, it is very objectified. Mm. And when I put Brutal. on- the occasional producer or casting hat, like it, it is quite objectifying. And so you have, you have no control. You, you just have no control. All you can do is do the best audition you can and do the best work you can. And that's why I think that everyone who's an actor should have something else that they do, even if it's acting in theater that they write, just something over which you have control. My friend She's an actress and she, she says that almost for her own mental health, she considers herself semi-retired <laughs> just, just because that's how few and far between jobs can be. So kind of telling herself, okay, I'm, it's okay. I'm, I'm semi-retired, so I don't need to book this. Just some, just whatever you can tell yourself, um, 
to preserve your own mental health from the rejection. And it's not even the rejection now because you're just putting yourself on tape and you're sending it into a void. It's the lack of response. You spend, you know, hours preparing for an audition and then you never hear anything again. It's almost harder than rejection. It's a funny metaphor for pretty much everything in life though, isn't it? That you have to kind of let go in order to uh, survive. You can't have this personal attachment to affirmation or getting your perfect imagined outcome of anything. You have to kind of go, I don't need it that much. And then you kind of get it in a weird way. Yes. Also, it takes away the like fear when you go in for an audition. If you're like, eh, I have other things going on in my life, you can suddenly be yourself more, which is the hardest thing to do. Um, and, and again, I just, I think that uh, you know, there's the stereotype actors are crazy <laughs> and I don't think it's untrue <laughs> necessarily because you, if all you're doing is being an auditioning actor, you are in a career over which you have almost no control. I mean, you have a control over your audition, but other than that, you have no control. And so I think some people go to, okay, well, what can I control? I can control my weight. I can control the way my face looks. I can control my hair. I can control the way I slated. Did I slate right? And they get, because they need some rhyme or reason, right? And I think the 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 actors I know who are both auditioning actors, but have like a good head on their shoulders are doing other things. Even if it's like producing a short that they're also in, just having anything where you're actually doing your art and you are controlling it, you're in the driver's seat, and in addition, you're auditioning. I, I think that's really important. Um, I know we have 20 questions to get through. I yeah, sorry. <laughs> you. No, I, could, I would love to chat to you about all of these things for hours because it's fascinating to get that insight into somebody who, who has sort of found the mentality to... Um, not take things so personally. That's sort of such a key for life. Oh, by the way, I'm not good at that. I should say <laughs> I take things incredibly personally. If I don't get a role in something, I mean, I've gotten better at this, but like if I don't get a role in something, it makes me not want to see the thing. And this is every actor. And I think I've said to a couple actors who auditioned for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend in the past, they went, oh, I auditioned for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And I, and they said, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't caught up on the show. And I go, no, if I were you, I'd want the show to fail and I'd want everyone to fail. You didn't, you didn't book a role. It's rejection. My goal is to not take it personally, but it's human nature to take it personally. Um, mm. At least I from, know, what right? I, from what I've noticed. And my therapist says, my therapist uh, treats a lot of people in the industry and she said that this is one of the only industries, especially being an actor, where if you face rejection, the thing that rejected you is plastered on billboards. And that and that ranges from little rejections to you tried out for a role and you didn't get it to big rejections like, God forbid, you're fired from a piece or you're replaced with someone. There aren't other industries where that happens. So that's why just getting a a sense of self outside of all of that is really important. And it's, it's an active process that I'm always going through. I love that you, uh, 
you know, have no pretensions of being um, some kind of Zen figure, because let's be honest, nobody is really that Zen, are they? <laughs> I don't know. I think, man, I, I don't know. I think some people are, you know, it's funny at, at award shows, uh, I see some people accept awards and they just seem so calm. And I'm like, you just got an award. You just got an Emmy. You just got an Oscar. Why are you not losing your fucking mind? So I don't know. How did we you all feel process you won- shit differently? How did you feel when you won your Emmy? I was so happy. I think I, I think I said in my Emmy speech, like, I'm so happy right now. I really wanted this. I'm really torn. My whole personality is being torn between things that are opposites and never the twain shall meet. I both think award shows are kind of bullshit. And you know, the, the root of the Oscars, I mean, the root of the Academy Awards was for Louis B. Mayer to, to prevent the actors from starting a union. Vanity Fair did an article about this. Um, I want to say it was like seven years ago that blew my mind. Basically Louis B. Mayer was worried that the actors were going to unionize just like, um, Ayatsi. And so he went, we need to distract the actors. We need to make them think they're in a union. Okay. Let's create something called the Academy of motion picture arts and sciences, whatever. We'll just call it that. And we'll host an award show. And that way they'll be, they'll be happy and they won't unionize. So the whole root of award shows in this country is to prevent people from unionizing. Now that having been said, I crave acclaim. I like getting awards. And so when I won, I was gleefully happy. Also, we won for songwriting and we wrote 157 original songs on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So it really felt like this cumulative, very happy award. But I am very torn between award shows don't matter, whatever it's about the art and wanting the acclaim of award shows. And that's the human condition, I guess, right there, is uh, your conscience versus uh, who doesn't like to be given an accolade? I mean, it's just natural. Well, it's also what we're told from such a young age. And award shows are obviously, they're not as big now. But when I grew up, I mean, award shows are still big. But, you know, when I grew up, all I knew about the industry, because I didn't grow up with parents in the industry. I grew up in California, but in... um, the beach cities. And I didn't really know anyone who did this. And so the only real clue I had about show business was the award shows. And that's what you think the job is. Like when you draw a picture of yourself, I want to be a famous actress. You don't draw a picture of yourself on set in the hair and makeup chair. You draw a picture of yourself in an award show dress. So this need for awards, this need for acclaim is so built in how we view this industry. I think it's hard to for me, it's hard to divorce uh, from the part of me that knows award shows aren't the job. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. I'm going to whiz into our 20 questions here. Yes, I, I I know I gave you them ahead of time, but I also don't expect you to have 
done revision work. <laughs> no, I did them. not. I did not. These is going. These are going to be pretty off the cuff. Which I like. I prefer that. So Great. that's awesome. I'm going to start with what's your favorite thing about your current project? And you don't have to choose a reboot. You, whatever you are thinking about. Oh, um, well, my current, I mean, my current project that I'm actively working on right now, and you can kind of see on the whiteboard behind me, um, I'm working on this special, it's not a special I hope to eventually film, but it's something I've been working on in a stage show. And what I love is it's, um, it's kind of a hybrid of a stand-up special meets a music special meets a one-act play. And I just really like experimenting with that new form because I'd never done that before. Awesome. That's exciting. Cool. Yeah. Um, what is the moment that you realized you wanted to be an actor or a writer or however multi-hyphenate title you apply to two, yourself? Yeah, I mean, there, there are many little moments I'll say. I saw a community theater production of Guys and Dolls when I was five years old and Adelaide was doing Bushel and a Peck and she looked right at me and I was like, I want to do this. I love the simplicity um, of that moment. I really, you remember I remember it. that. I just, I, I remember that. And then I'll remember the, I remember the moment that I was like, I think I want to do comedy. Um, I was in ninth grade and we did these little, I'll, I'll call them skits. I hate the word skit, but a skit is the appropriate word for this, where like we would, in drama, we would do these skits and we'd perform them at lunch in a thing called noontime theater. And I kind of made up the line out of context. It's, it's back off, bitch. She's my friend. And I got a laugh because I said the word bitch. But like the laugh was so special. And I was like, whoa, that's fucking powerful. I really enjoy your answers because I so often ask those questions and people don't really remember. But um, I'm like that. Like I'll remember a very specific conversation um, that had an impact. And I love to hear those stories. It's always really interesting. Um, what was an early inspirational figure for you? Um, family member, school teacher, somebody that really inspired you or made you feel you could do this? Well, my, my grandfather was an amateur stand-up comedian and actor. Uh, so I was, I, I was watching him do stand-up starting, you know, age two, three. And actually the first time I really got on stage was, um, there was, sorry, my daughter just got home and I hear her clomping upstairs. <laughs> the first time I, I really got on stage was he would perform every year at this free Thanksgiving show at the local Kiwanis club. And spur of the moment, we decided to get up and have me sing the sun will come out tomorrow while my mom played piano. And that was, and then I was in the newspaper, the local paper covered that event when I was five. And so my grandpa was very much an in to the, uh, not the show, you know, the amateur showbiz bug. Did you have like, cause you're, you're a redhead, but did you have like the full on Annie hair for this? For no. This and this, oh, this red hair is fake. Um, okay. this is a completely dyed. Yeah. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm a brunette. Um, uh, I went slowly redder and redder over the pandemic, but I'm flattered that you think I'm a natural redhead. Well, it looks very natural to me. Thank from you. Here. <laughs> oh, I loved Annie though. That's just such a, it never gets old. It's brilliant. That score. 
so good. Um, what were the posters you had on your bedroom wall growing up? I had a poster of Paul Walker and she's all that. Um, I had a couple of playbills from shows that I'd seen. And then I had a, a poster that I got it. I want to say it was Universal City Walk. I don't know why they had this there, but it was all of the disturbing coincidences between Abraham Lincoln and uh, John F. Kennedy. Uh, there's a part of me that really likes um, paranormally conspiracy theory stuff. So I had that on my wall. I love those stories. Wasn't it like the secretary that warned him had the same name? As the, I don't know. It's it, it, it was it was John Wilkes Booth, Lee Harvey Oswald, same amount of letters. They were born 100 years apart. I think it's a John Wilkes Booth shot Lincoln in a theater hidden a warehouse. Lee Harvey Oswald shot JFK in a warehouse hidden a theater. Again, I think some of these have actually been debunked, but um, I mean, and then, oh, it said like that uh, Kennedy's secretary warned him not to go to Dallas and her last name was Lincoln and that Lincoln's secretary warned him not to go to the theater. Yes, Again, I think some of I these, I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure some of these have been like kind of debunked, but um, I love I it. I choose to believe them anyway. Yeah, I exactly. Just, yeah. Let's just, let's keep those. Um, <laughs> what was the first movie you ever saw in a theater? Hmm. Um, probably Beauty and the Beast. Hmm. It's a guess, but I think so. Hmm. What about a TV or film character you wanted to be? Oh, my God. Pippi Longstocking. Excellent choice. Uh, weirdest job you've ever had? Oh, boy. Well, I was uh, – I had a gig where you'd earn 50 bucks a pop for calling into radio stations as a quote-unquote real person – or partaking in radio pranks as a quote unquote real person. Uh, and I, I signed like a ton of NDAs, but I don't care. Let them come after me. Um, <laughs> yeah. All of the things you hear on the radio that are like radio pranks or even people calling in a anytime that someone is surprised on the radio, chances are it's an actor because otherwise they open themselves up to lawsuits. I think I've one time always I had to wondered about yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. One time I had to call a Seattle radio station as a person living in Seattle and say, I've heard that they're starting to put microchips in babies like they put microchips in dogs just to start the conversation. It's all fake. That is it's all, so it's all, dark. it's all, it's all fucking fake. Fake news from an early age. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. But that's brilliant. That's one of the best uh, examples of a weird job I've heard so far. Yeah, and then one time someone got mad at me because they were like, okay, your your boyfriend is calling you and he's saying he's he's getting home home from work early. And I went, oh my God, congratulations. And they're like, wait a second, you wouldn't say that to your boyfriend. I was like, I would. I would say like, congrats, congratulations. They're like, well, you're a weird person. They were really mean. Well, yeah, I guess that was like the equivalent of early Twitter or something. That sort of uh, anonymous meme yeah, it, the, but yeah, a lot of this radio stuff, uh, is, it's fake. Fake, fake, fake. Well, I'll never listen to the radio the same way again. Oh, wait, <laughs> I haven't listened to the radio in about 10 years because of yeah, podcasts. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, a good historical fact. Um, 
What about the last time you cried? When my husband won the Emmy. Oh, that's great. Um, What would you take into your nuclear bunker to watch? Frasier. Ooh, that's good. It's just like my comfort show. It's when I, whenever I'm alone in like a hotel, if I'm doing shows out of town or whatever, it's what I watch. What about what you'd take to read? Oh God. Um, I mean, honestly, probably the Harry Potter series because I'm a basic bitch millennial. Hey, I'm basic as they come. I'm into yeah. it. Um, what about your dream dinner party guest, living or dead? I'm trying to think of someone who would tell me all like the mystery. Like who's someone who like knows like a mystery, you know, like someone who would know about an unsolved mystery. Are you a Probably. true crime person? I am. Okay. It might be Jesus mm. just so I could get to the bottom of a bunch of things. It's a pretty big mystery. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of, there are a lot of questions I have. And if I could ask him, like, I would like to know some things. Mm. Okay. I like that. Um, what is the toughest scene you've ever had to play? Oh, um, I mean, on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, spoiler alert. Uh, my character attempt, uh, spoiler alert and, and trigger alert. Um, uh, my character attempts suicide and, uh, I take these pills and it was a really hard scene to film. I was very upset and it was, it was one of the few times that I'm like, I don't want to film that scene anymore. Um, this might actually be related to that, but the next question was what's the time a character really got in your head? and went home with you. Yeah, that scene was hard. That scene was was quite was quite hard. So when you were in doing crazy ex-girlfriend, obviously because you created that mm-hmm. that that would stand to reason that that particular character really lives in you. Yeah, and it was season 3, so I knew her so well at that point. Um I think also when we filmed the series finale, um, the idea of just, it was my personal responsibility almost in a maternal way to like send her off. You know, it almost feels like you've, you're their creator, you're their mother. Mm. What was the time you were starstruck? <laughs> oh man. Um, uh, when I, okay. When I was in high school, uh, Sondheim had a 75th birthday celebration at the Hollywood Bowl. It was this huge show. And at the end number was a bunch of local high schools singing um, uh, the song Our Time from Merrily We Roll Along. And I was, my high school got chosen as one of the choirs. And we were in rehearsal and I had to go to the bathroom. And so they brought some of us to, I don't know how they landed on this conclusion. They brought us to the bathroom of the dressing room of the Hollywood Bowl the main dressing room, and I walk in to use the bathroom, and sitting in a circle is Stephen Sondheim, Audra McDonald, um, uh, and like a bunch of other Broadway stars, and I, I, I didn't know what to say. It was, it was stunning. So wait, you walked through the dressing room to get to the bathroom? I literally waited in line for the bathroom, and I heard what they were saying, and I remember what they were talking about, which is times that their names have come up on Jeopardy. 
That's brilliant. I was like, oh, so classic. it was crazy. And then I said to one of the handlers, can I say something to them? And they were like, no. And Aww. so I, I exited the room and I shouted behind me, you're all my heroes. <laughs> Did they and react? Looking, I don't know. I didn't look behind me, but looking back, I could have totally fucking said something. I was a fucking of high course. school student. Of course I could have. Assholes. They would have loved you. I mean, come on. That is a bit mean. Um, what is your proudest working achievement so far? Uh, I mean, I look, I, I think Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was really hard, and I'm very proud of what we did on that show and that I survived the, the schedule. <laughs> I bet. I bet it was 24-7 uh, on your brain, even if you yeah. weren't actually shooting it. So... Um, what job do you think you'd be doing if this hadn't worked out? Um, probably teaching. Acting teaching? I don't know. Uh, no, I, I feel like I would have been more of like a writing teacher. I like that process of the structure of writing. Act, acting teaching is... Um, very, uh, I don't know, maybe teaching like little kids, like running a theater mm. day camp. You have a daughter yourself, right? You just, uh, how old is she now? She's pretty young. She's uh, about two and a half. Right. Have you sort of got more in the mindset of imagining teaching little kids since you became a mom? Yeah, I always like teaching little kids. Uh, but now, Yes. Yes. I mean, it, when you're a parent, being a parent is, 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 you know, it's, it's incredibly hard because you are suddenly expected to be an expert in a thing for which you've had no life training really. So you have to suddenly become a little bit of a child psychology scholar and, and seeing her brain and the way she learns and how quickly her brain expands. Um, it's fascinating. Mm. Who is your current hero? I, I look up to a lot of people. I'm just trying to think of like what's a good, what's a really, really good, good answer. Hold on, let me look through my texts. I'm gonna come up with a really good <laughs> answer of someone I'm sure that I texted was my hero. You texted with hero? your hero, or you were yeah, telling? I someone? feel like it's someone. I, I feel like it's like someone I know is my hero. Oh. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I have a lot of heroes because I, I just know a lot of people who work really, really, really hard and bust their asses. Those are, mm. those are kind of all my heroes are all of my friends who just work really hard. Is that yeah. a lame answer? But that's how I feel. No, no. I mean, it's kind of like what you were saying about your husband at the beginning, you know, that, um, you just were really in admiration of how hard he worked and how much he fit into his job. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, finally, who would play you in the biopic of your life? I would play myself. I wouldn't let anyone else play me. It's bullshit. <laughs> I love that answer. No and one else is going to play sense. me better than me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty good. I like it. Um, well, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. You've been a really good sport. Really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
Thank you again, Rachel Bloom, for being on 20 Questions on Deadline. Don't forget to check out the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and read our awards line magazine in print and at deadline.com.